Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I got an extra large one for you today, so definitely hit that like button and let me know that you like these big shows. Today we're talking about the pure lunacy around the Taylor Swift X-rated AI and also stalking situations. Our people are shrieking at one another over Power World versus Pokemon. We gotta talk about the impact of one of the dirtiest cops in the world. And why Donald Trump wants the situation at the border to get worse. And then there's even more, so buckle up and let's just jump into it. Starting with, this Taylor Swift situation is disturbing and disgusting. We need to talk about it in part, yes, because it is Taylor Swift. Though not because she, as an individual, needs to be protected any more than any other woman. Right, if one of the richest, most influential, and popular people out there that you imagine would have teams around her to protect her is having to still deal with this. Just imagine, and unfortunately some of you don't have to imagine because it's your lived experience, what other regular women are having to deal with. But the first thing that we're gonna be talking about here are these AI-generated nude photos of her that have been going viral. Now, I'm not gonna be showing them in this video for a number of reasons, including they're essentially revenge porn. But there are these AI photos that show her naked at a Kansas City Chiefs game. She's covered in red body paint, posing in a suggestive way, and a number of these photos, right, people are grabbing at her. Well, one of the accounts that posted them has since been suspended for violating the platform rules, there's obviously just been more and more uploads making the rounds. Just a forever game of whack-a-mole. Also, it doesn't help that the platform has the slowest swing ever trying to take these accounts down. When the posts are getting millions of views and hundreds of thousands of likes before you take it down, seems like you're pretty fucking slow. So while you had people seemingly liking this and sharing this, you had many outrage, saying those Taylor AI picks are straight up sexual harassment and it's disgusting that men can do those things without repercussions. They see women as objects made for their sick fantasies and I'm so sick of it. And 150,000 likes on this fucking fill? Are there no boundaries you cretins won't cross? And again, this is there are people out there unashamed and not like fucking looking in at what this means about them, saying things like it's hard to explain but the fact that she probably hates these images being out there makes it hotter. You also have people hoping that Taylor takes some legal action. Though as we've talked about in the past, legal options are kind of limited for deep fake porn victims, where the laws constantly trail tech advancement. And while this bullshit would have concerned people anyways, you're this hitting a lot of people in an even heavier way because Taylor's been in the news for a number of other reasons, namely her stalkers. Right, there was a guy who was arrested outside her New York home three times in five days. He was arrested the first time on Saturday after trying to open her fucking door and then again on Monday near her place, with him getting charged with stalking and harassment. And while he was arraigned on Wednesday, he was given supervised release, with Manhattan's DA office also saying that a protective order was issued. But then, according to NBC New York, he was released from court just before noon yesterday, and by 1.30 p.m., he was arrested a third time for violating the protection order that had just been issued. The guy being seen going through a dumpster outside of her home. And the thing is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You've got prosecutors alleging that he's actually gone to Taylor's home 30 times in the last two months. Which again, brings us back to the question of how can fucking any woman in this world feel safe when you have a stalker who apparently has gone to her home 30 times, three of which he actually got arrested for, and they just keep releasing him so he can do it again. If she can't do a fucking thing about it, what about any regular person? That angry ex, that creepy guy that won't take no for an answer. I understand Taylor Swift is one of the most known women in the world. That paints a big target on her. But when even she is not safe from these numerous different scary things and abuses, who actually is or can be? Like by the time I get this video out, Will it have happened again? And then, the Pokemon Company versus Power World. That's easily been the biggest thing in the gaming world for the past week. So you don't really even need to be familiar with the space for this story to be standout and matter. And so, for those that don't know, Power World is a survival crafting game. It's become extremely popular since its release this week. It's been described by many as Pokemon with guns. Also, when I say extremely popular, I, I should probably explain. It is the second game ever on Steam to break two million concurrent players. Not two million people bought the game and they played it at some point. 
they've been playing it at the same time. With them tweeting that 8 million people on Steam have gotten the game in just the last six days. And that doesn't even include all the people that are playing this game thanks to Xbox Game Pass. But I mean, even way back when it was announced years ago, there have been accusations this is just a Pokemon ripoff. With claims that it's more than just the concept of collecting monsters, but the models themselves. And those accusations have just multiplied since the game's official release with a ton of viral tweets highlighting the alleged copy. Some even calling the game an asset flip or even accusing it of using generative AI. You're seeing a bunch of those accusations on the screen, but the company CEO doesn't think that's the case and tweeted, I've received a variety of opinions regarding Power World, but all productions related to Power World are supervised by multiple people, including myself, and I am responsible for the production. I would appreciate it if you would refrain from slandering the artists involved in Power World. And the use there of that word slander is especially important because Power World, like Pokemon, they're from Japan, and over there, the bar for defamation and slander is way lower, which is why you'll often see companies use that specific language to try and silence critics. Also with this, their community manager pointed out that they've received a ton of death threats, which in general is an insane and not okay thing to do, but especially when we're talking about fake pixel monsters. Now that said, we've also seen people defending the franchise, pointing out that Pokemon itself has seemingly copied from past games in its early years, as well as others arguing that many of the cases proving Power World models were the same as Pokemon ones, they were actually altered to fit that narrative. You also had big names in the gaming space like Moist Critical saying, Calling it an asset flip, I think is some absolute smooth brain nonsense. Either you don't know what an asset flip game is, or you're just baiting engagement through being incendiary for the sake of some numbers on your tweets. There's just no way anyone genuinely thinks that about this game. And to be clear, you know, Moist loves that game, but also recognizes that some of the assets are probably too close to Pokemon. But with that saying... So, it is a legitimate criticism to dislike how derivative some of the designs are, and how it clearly borrows maybe too closely to quite a few of them, but it got out of control with people just saying that for every pal in the game, when it's just absolutely not the case. And he then goes on to clarify that the handful of cases where the designs are too close are just a small blemish on the game, rather than a reason to hate it completely and that it should be celebrated for pushing what a Pokemon-like game can be. But as the game's popularity has been growing and as the situation has developed, a big question that's been out there is if Power World did something wrong, or that they're actually breaking the law, how is Pocket Pair, the developers of Power World, not been sued yet? Or Nintendo and the Pokemon Company, historically very protective of their IP. However, some people with experience in the industry, such as the increasingly popular streamer Thor of Pirate Software, saying. There's no such thing as fair use in Japan. None. Doesn't exist. So with that in mind, if Nintendo wants to go after you, if you're in the US or Europe or anywhere else, because you're showing off Nintendo stuff, they have every right to because there's no fair use in Japan. And on top of all of this, on top of everything else, they're both in Japan, which means it wouldn't even be an international lawsuit. It'd be a local lawsuit. So if they're not doing it, why is everyone on Twitter chick? Pretty sure that Nintendo, one of the most litigious game companies in the world, would have more of a handle and understanding of the law than all of the armchair experts on Twitter. So regarding all that, we got a big update because this morning, the Pokemon company, which is the corporate structure that runs most Pokemon things, not Nintendo, they said, we have received many inquiries regarding another company game released in January, 2024. We have not granted any permission for the use of Pokemon intellectual property or assets in that game. And adding, we intend to investigate and take appropriate measures to address any acts that infringe on intellectual property rights related to the Pokemon. We will continue to cherish and nurture each and every Pokemon in its world and work to bring the world together through Pokemon in the future. Now, that that does not mean there is 100% a lawsuit coming, but it is public confirmation that at the very least, Power World is on their radar. So in the meantime, I wonder if the controversy is actually helping the game get more sales, with there potentially being a growing number of people worried that they're not gonna get a chance to actually try the game. But with this whole situation, especially if you've played both Pokemon and Power World, I'd love to know your thoughts on this controversy and situation because whoo baby, people are, let's call it, passionate about this. And then we've got more news you need to know about today, but I gotta take a quick second to pay some bills. Because the best way to learn 
a language is through immersion, right? Living where the language is spoken, using it every day. But if that's not in the cards for you right now, you can still learn a language the second best way. Thanks to the Moy Fantastico. Oh my God, is he just fluent? Why am I whispering away from the microphone? Sponsor of today's show, Babbel. You know, Babbel's known for helping you to speak a new language in as little as three weeks, right? No need to pay hundreds of dollars for a private tutor. And studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. I mean, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. And the feedback that I've been getting from people that I know is how different this is from how they were taught in school. Because Babbel actually focuses on teaching you modern conversations that you can use in the real world. And it makes a difference that they actually use native speakers, not computers. And I also enjoy the sound that it makes when I get it right. And Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Plus, best of all, here is a special limited-time deal for you beautiful bastards. To get you started right now, you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for you if you go to babbel.com slash DeFranco. You heard right. That is 55% off at babbel.com slash DeFranco, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash DeFranco. Rules and restrictions may apply. And then we've got to talk about the absolutely wild and bizarre $110 million scandal around Louis Scarcella. Because Scarcella worked on the NYPD's Brooklyn North Homicide Squad during the 1980s and 90s. Back when you had homicide rates surging due to the crack epidemic. And Scarcella, I mean, the guy was famous. He was out there solving murder cases that his colleagues, like, they couldn't even get close to figuring out. His nickname literally became The Closer. Before retiring back in 99, he led at least 175 cases and then helped close another 175. And when I say that he was famous, I mean, like, Nash with him even popping up on Dr. Phil, where he bragged about how he could get confessions out of suspects. But all of this, as it turns out, that for years, New York defense attorneys questioned his methods, claiming that he'd coach witnesses or sometimes just threaten them into making false confessions. And then in 2013, a witness came forward with him saying that an NYPD officer had told them to pick a specific murder suspect out of a lineup for the 1990 robbery and fatal shooting of a rabbi, with it widely assumed that they were talking about Scarcella or because he had conducted the lineup. And immediately, that was very significant because the man the witness picked, David Ranta, was ultimately charged and convicted of the murder. But that witness, who was also just 13 13 years old at the time, they were the only one out of five others to identify Ranta as the murderer. And those other witnesses included a man who actually saw the face of the shooter and said Ranta was, quote, 100% not that person. So the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office are like, fuck, we gotta review this case. And everything immediately began to fall apart. Investigators found that Scarcella and his partner kept very few written records. And they also took Ranta's confessions under super sketchy circumstances. For the supposed confession, it was never recorded on tape. Instead, it was just transcribed by Scarcella. A fact that the judge overseeing the case even questioned, asking why a veteran of the force wouldn't take the suspect into an interview room and record the confession as his standard. And this, as Ranta himself also insisted that he had never actually confessed to anything. While they're not admissible in court, even passing a lie detector test when he was asked if he shot the rabbi. But then beyond that, the investigation revealed that Scarcella and his partner had coached witnesses and convinced them to incriminate Ranta with some dirty tactics. And I mean, insane shit. Like letting two violent criminals out of jail to smoke crack and visit prostitutes in exchange for implicating Ranta. And as the investigation continued, one of those two literally admitted that he had made up the story to try and cut a deal for himself. Plainly saying the police had framed Ranta. And that man's girlfriend who also told police she witnessed Ranta plotting to cover up the murder, she also went back on her testimony, saying she made everything up because she also wanted her boyfriend to get a deal. And investigators even found evidence that showed that Scarcella had investigated another suspect who looked shockingly like Ranta. But Scarcella chose to not submit any paperwork about that. And so with all of this, after serving 20 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit, Ranta was finally released and returned to his family. Now Scarcella, for his part, denied any wrongdoing, telling the New York Times, at that time, I never framed anyone in my life. But that is not where this story ends. Because shortly after Ranta's murder conviction was overturned, 
Brooklyn DA's office ordered a review of every single murder case Scarcella had been assigned to that ultimately resulted in a guilty verdict, which ended up being around 50 cases. And notably, that decision coming after the Times did a deep dive into dozens of cases involving Scarcella, with them finding a series of very alarming patterns. Like the fact that he relied on a specific sex worker who was addicted to crack as a witness in multiple murder trials, because apparently she just had a real knack for witnessing murders that Scarcella had been assigned to. In fact, Scarcella himself said she testified in at least six of his cases. And in all the cases the Times examined, they found that her accounts contradicted those of other witnesses or existing evidence. Hell, during one trial, she even admitted she had lied during a previous testimony. And in another instance, she claimed to have seen a murder from the keyhole of a crack den. But investigators found the den didn't even have a keyhole. And this on top of the Times investigation also finding that Scarcella had a history of delivering confessions, quote, from suspects who later said they had told him nothing. And all of that, on top of other questionable practices around witnesses and keeping proper interrogation notes, with many, many people pinning Scarcella as a rule breaker who played on his own terms. And I mean, Fuck, and that even includes Scarcella himself, who told Dr. Phil back in 2007, are there rules when it comes to homicide? No. No, there are none. I lie to them. I will use deception. The bad guys don't play by the rules when they kill Ma and Pop, shoot them in the head, ruin the lives of their family. I don't play by the rules. Now, of course, with this, when the Brooklyn DA launched its reviews in 2013, Scarcella once again denied having done anything wrong, telling the Times, I couldn't sit with my family the past 30, 40 years if I had hurt an individual. I never fudged a lineup in my life. I never, ever took a false confession. But, according to the National Exonerations Registry, 17 people whose convictions were connected to Scarcella's work have since had those convictions overturned. And of those just 17, 14, so far have been paid out a total of $110 million in wrongful conviction settlements. Which means this single man, this single NYPD detective has not only ruined countless lives, but has cost taxpayers $110 million. And that's only so far. And again, we're talking about many of these people having served a decade or more in prison for crimes they didn't do. Right, because some fucking guy just loved having the nickname The Closer. The $110 million number, that includes Ranta, with him actually being the first to receive a settlement which totaled $8.4 million. There was also Vanessa Gathers who got almost $4 million after serving a decade on manslaughter charges the prosecutors say she was coaxed to confess to. There was also Derek Hamilton who got $6.6 million after serving 23 years in prison, with him also now helping lead the charge against Scarcella. And again, that's on top of many others who, by the way, include some who died in prison or shortly after being exonerated, as well as just some kid who was 14 years old when arrested. And regarding those other three who haven't gotten settlements, they've now also filed claims with the state of New York, because those three were convicted of burning a subway token clerk alive in 1995 when they were teenagers. Last year, they were actually cleared after prosecutors found that Scarcella and his partner partner forced them to confess to the crime, failed to disclose sketchy witness identifications, and ignored inconsistencies in evidence in the teen's confessions. And again, while the impact on these people's lives, that's the, the key thing here, that staggering $110 million number, which again, is going to get bigger. You have the Times reporting that no other New York Police Department officer has ever come close to costing taxpayers as much. In fact, records show that Scarcella's cases alone, they make up about 15% of the roughly $500 million that New York City has spent on reverse convictions from 2014 to 2022. I mean, we're talking about a city with 36 thousand police officers. And a spokesperson for the Brooklyn DA's office also saying cases linked to Scarcella compose nearly a third of the three dozen cases the office has agreed to vacate. And that's on top of a handful of others that have been reversed by judges. And the unfortunate truth about this is that all these payouts, they're, they're a band-aid. They don't fix anything. They should still happen because these people were completely fucked over. But you have experts saying, hey, even if these settlements are historic, they don't actually do anything to prevent misconduct. With Vanessa Potkin, director of the Special Litigation for the Innocence Project, telling the Times, I actually think it's really problematic because although it helps bring a measure of justice to the wrong convicted person who has been harmed by the system. It doesn't do anything for accountability because the taxpayers are the one who are bearing the impact. And beyond that, right, the man of the hour, Scarcella, he hasn't had to bear any responsibility for his actions. 
he hasn't had to admit any wrongdoing as a part of these confessions. And I mean, he still collects his fucking pension. So it's hard to have any hope that the situation will actually change. There's no deterrence or accountability for the monsters that are causing all these problems. The system is currently built to try to make up for the failures that they are responsible for way after the fact, after the damage has been done, rather than trying to stop it from ever happening. With all that said, that's where we are on this. And in the meantime, I'd love to know your thoughts on this situation in those comments down below. And then, whether you've said that you're gonna save money, eat better, or stress less this year, just know that you deserve all three. And a great way to actually achieve this is through today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Providing home-delivered in-season ingredients pre-portioned and ready to cook. And HelloFresh has over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. Like if it's time an issue, those nights where your schedule's packed, just turn to HelloFresh's lineup of quick and easy meals. I mean, my go-to is definitely their 15-minute recipes. They're designed to help minimize mealtime stress, or as I call it, Wednesday, Thursday. And these recipes help us get wholesome meals on the table in less time than it takes to get delivery. And hey, are you looking to revamp your eating habits? They've got you covered there with health-forward options like over 30 calorie-smart and protein-smart recipes. I mean, HelloFresh has been a great way to get our boys involved with the cooking process, which is paying off, by the way. It helps build independence, it's creating quality family time. And get this, HelloFresh can help take the hassle out of every mealtime with easy breakfast, quick lunches, and snacks all delivered with your weekly box. So y'all, go to HelloFresh.com slash DeFrancoFree and use code DeFrancoFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's right, free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash DeFrancoFree with code DeFrancoFree and try America's number one meal kit today. And then, Donald Trump is currently trying to set your house on fire so he can pull up like a white knight and put it out for you. Because not only did this guy earlier this month say that he hopes the economy crashes in the next 12 months, which by the way, the US economy actually expanded 3.3% this year, even though it was only projected to go 2%. And that's following the previous quarter where it expanded 4.9%, which are great numbers on their own and way better than other advanced countries. And in fact, we're now beating out pre-pandemic projections of GDP growth. But now, in addition to that, he wants to fuck with our nation's security so he can swoop in and be the big savior. With reports saying that Trump is now trying to pressure Republicans to kill a bipartisan deal to secure our border. All because he doesn't want Biden to get a win on immigration. You know, you had a source familiar with the negotiations talking to the Huffington Post. And it's not just the source familiar with the negotiations speaking out, saying, quote, Trump wants them to kill it because he doesn't want Biden to have a victory. He told them he will fix the border when he is president. He said he only wants the perfect deal. But also, Trump himself has publicly voiced his opposition to the deal on Truth Social. You know, those remarks brought even more division to the GOP, especially because the parties tied the border deal to billions of dollars of aid for Ukraine. Right? On one hand, yeah, we saw numerous Republicans openly criticizing Trump for trying to influence these hard-fought and already delicate negotiations, with people like Republican Senator Mitt Romney specifically taking issue with the reports that Trump is now calling members and telling them to vote against the border deal. I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump, uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. But the but the reality is that that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border, uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the uh, you know the problem solved as opposed to saying, "Hey, save that problem. Don't solve it." Uh, let me take credit for solving it later. But then on the other hand, we saw Trump's comments actively bolstering the far-right Republicans who were already threatening to single-handedly upend this bipartisan deal. And it appears that Trump's chokehold on the Republican Party is just getting stronger, especially now that he has a GOP nomination locked in. I mean, hell, we literally just saw multiple reports today that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is now casting doubt on the deal explicitly because of Trump. And that's huge for two reasons. I mean, one, this is a huge reversal because McConnell's been a strong champion of this proposal. And secondly, I mean, McConnell is a Republican who has tried to distance himself from Trump. And so this whole situation perfectly 
perfectly exemplifies Trump's grip on the party. And according to reports, McConnell himself told Republicans at a closed door meeting, we don't want to do anything to undermine him, saying we're in a quandary. So let's be clear about what's happening. Trump wants to be able to keep complaining that Biden just isn't doing enough to secure the border. But then he is also single-handedly stopping Biden from securing the border. And he's using the Republicans in Congress and the potential pain and chaos the situation will cause to strengthen his campaign for president. I mean, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound fucking America first to me. Sounds more like an arsonist who wants to be seen as a hero for putting his own fire up. And then 65,000 rape-related pregnancies have happened in states with abortion bans so far. That's the estimate being reported from a new study by JAMA Internal Medicine. With the researchers having looked at the 14 states where abortion was banned after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And using data from the CDC, FBI, and Bureau of Justice, they tallied up the number of so-called completed vaginal rapes, both reported and unreported, with them then narrowing it down to just women of reproductive age. And then narrowing it down even further to just the time after abortion bans went into effect, which varies from state to state. That number then coming to approximately 520,000. And then using CDC data, they estimated that about 12.5% of those cases would result in a pregnancy, and that's how they arrived at 65,000, which they admit is a very rough estimate. And one of the study's authors telling NPR, these are hard numbers to come up with. There's no kind of systematic collection at the level of healthcare providers to be able to answer this question of what's the pregnancy rate among people who have been victims of a completed vaginal rape. This is kind of the best we could do. And while of course, not every assault survivor would want an abortion even if they had access to it, you have people like Dr. Rachel Perry, a professor of OBGYN at UC Irvine, noting, we do know that those who become pregnant after rape are more likely to choose abortion than to continue their pregnancies. And so while you have this situation where there's no way to get a true lockdown exact number, given all the statistics that we know about, right, all the historical data and trends that are going to continue, right, it's not like rapes are going to go down because Roe v. Wade got overturned and people were like, ah, oh, I don't want to put a woman in a weird situation. We are without a doubt talking about tens of thousands of women. And that's just since these laws went into effect, which is as long as 18 months ago or as recent as four months ago. And of course, that's without mentioning all the other unwanted pregnancies that aren't the product of assault. With CDC data showing that in states where abortion was banned post-Roe, there were about 32,000 more childbirths than expected in just the first six months of 2023. You know, when we talk about abortion, there are a lot of people where it's not a, a pure yes or no, or there are some that argue, hey, I'm not for abortion, but there should be an exception for rape. Though one, notably, that is something the majority of abortion bans do not have. Though two, there are lawmakers in some states like Kentucky that are pushing to do just that. Though even there, you have people questioning, is that actually going to be effective? Because usually those exceptions require women to report their assault to police, which most don't actually do. And then even if they do, it may take too long to meet the strict time limits. But then also, none of that matters if all the abortion clinics in their state shut down because of the ban. And here, you know, at the very least, it does not feel like a rape exception should be a heavy lift. I mean, Pew Research shows that nearly 70% of Americans say that abortion should be legal if pregnancy is the result of a rape. But ultimately, that is uh, where we are on uh, one of the biggest consequences of the 2016 presidential election. And then finally today, let's talk about some beautiful bastard community news and yesterday today. First on the community news front, I just wanted to say thank you. Y'all made yesterday's beautiful bastard drop a resounding success. We sold out of those brand new perfect everyday shirts so damn fast. And I can't wait for y'all to get them so that you can actually see what all the fuss is about. Though, even though the shirts are sold out, if you want to snag yourself a flannel, there are some sizes still available. And the sizes go up to 5XL. I feel like size inclusivity has been like a big thing for us over the past year and a half. Also, we have those awesome fuzzy socks and that amazing blanket still available. But enough about that. I really just wanted to say thank you. And so then finally, Let's talk about yesterday today. Because yesterday, I asked and y'all answered. With a lot of the conversation yesterday being focused on that woman who stabbed her boyfriend 108 times, killed him, but then she avoided jail time and got community service. With Keishu saying, there was a woman sentenced to five years in prison for sending her child to the wrong school district, and yet this girl gets community service? Damn, America. Some responding to that, saying it's because she's white. Meanwhile, you had others saying, you know, this sets a dangerous precedent. And arguing, we're telling people it's excusable to rape, drive drunk, hurt others after you had too many. And adding, I don't care how innocent and good she looks, she needs to be held accountable. Being overly intoxicated isn't an excuse. And in general, a lot of y'all weren't buying the argument from her lawyer, saying, you know, that the 
boyfriend who ended up being killed, he had pressured and forced her to get high, which then resulted in her having some sort of psychosis. So at the same time, he had some like Smiley Kylie saying, doing something awful whilst in some type of psychosis or delirium is one of my worst fears. Saying if she was in psychosis, which both the prosecution and defense agreed she was, I'm sure she's dealing with immense guilt and regret. Noting that she harmed herself, she also harmed her service dog. And saying even if she did voluntarily consume the marijuana, which given that she reported to police that she didn't want to smoke more, and he made her, and it seems likely to be coerced, it's not like a DUI when you drink alcohol, right, where you know you're going to get drunk. She took a legal drug and reasonably had no idea it was going to induce psychosis. She had used weed a handful of times before and felt little to no effects. From what I can find, it sounds like everyone in her life said she's not a violent person, has never displayed signs of violence or psychosis prior, and asking, what is the purpose of sending her to prison? What good will that do to anyone? If someone had a medical emergency while driving and killed someone, should they be sent to prison? She shouldn't ever be allowed to use marijuana again, but I'm positive that's something she would impose on herself anyway. People get so caught up in wanting justice, they don't stop to think what the logical end to their justice is. Right? And that and the situation in general sparked a lot of debate. Though I will say a story that did not spark debate, though it did get comments, was the pastor who blamed God for him scamming his congregation. Which still, my favorite line from that story. We sold a cryptocurrency with no clear exit. We did. We took God at his word and sold a cryptocurrency with no clear exit. Just throwing God under the bus. And so you had people like Valtech saying, ah yes, the God made me do it excuse. So many atrocities have been committed with that being the excuse. Boastful Cookie adding, the pastor clearly didn't read, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And finally, Averman saying, once again, as a Christian, it's unfortunate to me that people abuse their position of power and try to blame everything on God. They know what they're doing and they know the power they hold. Yeah, and the thing there is like, some people who have power, right, they may make mistakes or have like a stumble, but this, when the guy is literally saying, yeah, God told me to come up with this crypto scheme and also to take some of the money from that crypto scheme and use it on a home remodel, as well as all the other shit that we talked about, that that's a scammer. And I'm just always amazed at the, the level of blind trust that people have. But that is where today's show is gonna end. As always, think of being a part of these daily dives into the news. Also, even though today was a long one, for more news you need to know that you might not have seen, I got you covered right here, and I'll also include links in the description. But, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.